0: Good morning, everybody, and I want to welcome you once again to the Digital Cathedral. Sunday morning. Obviously, we're still in our shelter in place here in Houston, Texas, and I expect we will be for several weeks more. So I'm doing the Digital Cathedral from my study, my office at home, but I am still glad that you're with me. Hope, uh, hope all is going well in your part of the country and you're staying safe and doing whatever you have to do to get through this, this tough period of time. I told my wife this week that I felt really strange doing a Sunday morning out of, out of my study, out of my office, and it felt a little bit strange. And I hope that my uh, members of the Digital Cathedral didn't mind that I wasn't behind, uh, you know, in a church setting or in a building setting behind a pulpit or a podium. And she said, you know, she said, I don't think people come to the Digital Cathedral because of the ambiance or where you're at. She said, I think they come to the Digital Cathedral for the word. So I hope that's the case and that this doesn't throw you or, or make you feel any different about uh, what we do at the Digital Cathedral. So we're here today together to continue our study. And right now we're up to Ephesians chapter one, and we're gonna look at verses 11 through 23 today. Uh, I did a series a couple of years ago that I called Embracing Your Divinity. If you've never, if you've never watched that series, it's all on YouTube. I think it's about 20 parts. It might well be worth your time to look at it. Uh, in that series, we discovered the fact that there is an objective truth, and the objective truth is uh, that our authentic identity, the identity that we've had from the very beginning is divinity. I mean, you can't, you can't be formed an image and likeness of divinity without being divinity, right? If I were to create a, a Hershey, a, a candy bar in the image and likeness of a Hershey bar, then its identity is going to be chocolate. I don't care whatever way you slice it and dice it. John said it like this He said, Of his fullness we have all received. I love that verse. It's in the first chapter, John. I think it is probably around verse 6, 7, 8, somewhere right in there. John said, Of his fullness we have all received. Uh, you can't have the fullness of Jesus—you can't have the fullness of everything He is, without measure, which He had the Spirit without measure, without uh, that equating to divinity. If Jesus really is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, which uh, which the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter one verse nine that He actually is—that in Jesus, in that in that human form, Jesus dwelt the fullness of the, of the Godhead bodily and then the next verse verse 10 really blows it away and it tells us that in him in this one that is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form that you are absolutely complete also I, I don't think there's anything that could assure your divinity more than knowing that you're fully absolutely complete in the one himself who is the fullness of the Godhead So what John said of his fullness we've all received, uh, the fact that we are image and likeness of divinity himself, I think really settles this fact in that you and I have an authentic identity of, of divinity. And that's what Paul's setting out in his first chapter of Ephesians to really settle into the thinking of the Ephesian Christians. Paul sets out to unpack their authentic identity as divinity. Now, just by way of quick review, the Ephesian Ephesian Christians, the Ephesian church were following Jesus, no question about it. They were Jesus followers. The problem Paul had with them was that they were living way below their position. They were living way below the identity that they had as divinity. So Paul sets out from this very first chapter, he sets out, to establish who they have always been and who they are right now because of the death, burial, resurrection, finished work of the cross. This is one of those areas that you and I were never taught in church. We were never taught who we had always been. And we were never taught that because the one teaching us had no clue himself. They they had no earthly idea uh, that we had an identity as divinity. So we were not taught that because you can't go farther than what the teacher is, right? So the teacher had no knowledge of that kind of revelation at that time, so we were never instructed. So today, as this mystery is being unveiled, I think it's, it's having a profound effect on the body of Christ. Now, remember what I told you last week about this book of Ephesians. It's really important. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 explain to them who they are. Paul does a masterful job. And as we come through these first three chapters, I want this to really settle into your thinking as to who you are as well. Chapters one, two, three, Paul establishes identity. Matter of fact, he establishes identity as divinity. Then in chapters four, five, and six, Paul says, now that you know who you are, you need to live it out. You need to walk it out. And I think Paul was was in those last three chapters, he was getting at the fact that uh, if you can't live out what you believe, then it really has little value. It's of a, it's, it's a, a little help to know who you are in Christ, chapters 1, two, 3, through, uh, through identity, through finished work of the cross, through the Father's plan from the beginning, if you cannot manifest it. Probably manifestation is one of the key words uh, of the day. It's, 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 it's become a buzzword of the day because Many of us are are seeing that the call of the day is to manifest as sons of God. So the the teaching that Paul's giving here in the book of Ephesians is absolutely essential to us fulfilling that destiny that we have as sons. What Paul is laying out in Ephesians 1, chapter 1 from the get-go is not for head knowledge. So I don't, I don't want you to. I don't want you to necessarily listen to the teachings that I'm doing at the Digital Cathedral, especially as we walk, go through the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I don't want you to necessarily listen to it with your mind. I, I, I don't want. You, I, I don't want you just to build a good theology, a good belief system. All that's important. I, I'm. I'm one that I, I'm not against theology, theo, Godology, study of. I'm not against a good study of God. I'm not against having a good belief system. But that's really not the purpose of what Paul was was getting at in the book of Ephesians. Paul was was after transforming them. He was after, uh, I can almost see Paul taking them by the shoulders and shaking them to awaken them. Paul wanted to provide for them revelation that they could live by that would enable them, that would empower them to live as Jesus lives in this present world. So last week, we went through verses one through 10. We got through the first 10 verses of chapter one and we uncovered four strong, identity-building, unchangeable truths. I wanna hit those four real quick, just, just to review. And then I wanna give you three more out of verses 11 through 23. So we'll polish off the first chapter of Ephesians today. Now. Last week, let me remind you, we discovered four things. First of all, in verse three of chapter one, we discovered that he has already blessed us, past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The word that probably throws us off a little bit there is the word spirit blessing, or he has blessed us in the spirit with every blessing, every conceivable blessing that you could ever need. I want you to just think outside the box with me a little bit. Everything that you see comes from spirit, what you can't see. Isn't that how God created everything you see, he created out of what you can't see. So every, when Paul says you have been blessed with every spirit blessing, he's taking you into that unseen realm. And he's saying, look, in this unseen realm, there is everything that you'll ever ever need for anything in life, any situation. Any problem, any dilemma that arises, there's a blessing in the spirit, even though you can't see it, it's there for you. Paul's laying down some groundwork, and boy, in the weeks and months ahead, I wanna talk more and more about this because it is a pressing need. How to move things from what you can't see into what you can see. I'm getting some strong understanding about this. I I, I can't wait to share some of the revelation that I'm seeing and is beginning to manifest in my life on moving from the unseen to the seen. So we'll we'll get to that in due time. Let's just keep laying some good good groundwork. So in effect, Paul is giving them insight how to to produce what they need from that realm of what, from where they can't see, which is exactly what Hebrews tells us uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse three. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse three says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed brought into existence they were framed by the word of god that doesn't mean they were framed by the bible it means they were framed by the word that god spoke that's the real word of god the word that god speaks so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible what the writer hebrews is getting at is just what paul's getting at we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and the writer of Hebrews says, that's the way God worked blessing from the very beginning. God blessed the entire universe by bringing into that seen realm that which you cannot see, and he used the words that he spoke. I'll just throw in here as as just a little quick rabbit trail that may help you with this. Like I said, we're gonna get into this a lot more in the weeks ahead. Before God ever spoke that, that, that word that framed the worlds, he first envisioned what he wanted to create. On day one, day two, day three, four, five, six, there were specific things that God focused his attention on. He saw them with the eye of his imagination, and then he used the words of his mouth to frame what he was seeing in the eyes of, with the eyes of his imagination. First of all, the father had to see it before he could say it and he he saw it long enough and held onto it tight enough until it actually manifested and it existed, All right, That's just a little bit of a teaser on where I think we're going. So the first thing we uncovered last week, which really builds identity, when you understand that you have already, past tense, been blessed with every spiritual blessing in an unseen realm that you have been empowered with to bring to the seen realm that establishes that you're, you're not like a, a bird of the air or fish of the sea, that there's something different about you that creates a perception, an identity of how you should be seeing yourself. All right, second thing we saw was in verse four, where he secured our position in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's, it says in verse four, just as he chose us, his choosing, absolutely his choosing, he chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world. That means that your life was hid with Christ in God before anything ever transpired. So to get to you, here's the security that he's building. To get to you, anything, I don't care what it is, anything to get to you has to first come through the Father and through the Son to get to you. Now again, this verse four is something we never knew. We absolutely never knew that we were placed in Christ before the foundation of the world. I never heard one message, and I grew up in the church, I never heard one message my entire life about him choosing me before the foundation of the world. The only message that I ever heard is that I had to choose him within the limits of my lifetime, within a three score and 10 or 80 years or however many years I have on on the planet, I have to accept him. Nobody ever told me he picked me ahead of time. That brings some security. By knowing that he has chosen me in Christ before the foundation of the world, that tells me how well protected I am, how well insulated I am. It tells me that I don't face anything by myself. I wish that I would have had that assurance all of my life. I've come through some dilemmas. You've come through some dilemmas. We've come through some hard times in our life. If you've, lived, if you've lived life at all, you have come through some difficulties. And a lot of times I felt like, man, I'm facing this stuff all by myself. I never knew, I never knew that I had been chosen in him and that whatever I faced, he was facing it with me. The, the most difficult times in the life of Jesus, the Father was with him. When Jesus hung on the cross, the Father did not abandon him, the Father did not forsake him, Jesus was not there alone. In fact, scripture says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was with Jesus through every drive of the nail, through the piercing of his side with the sword, through every difficult, through the beating. The Father father felt exactly what Jesus felt. And whatever you go through, I, I, want, to, I want you to know as I remember in the digital cathedral, you should feel secure because you might be facing something really difficult today. Either you have faced something difficult, you're facing something difficult, or I can assure you in this world, you will have tribulation. You will face some difficulties, but whenever you face them, you have to know that you're not doing it. You're not in that thing alone. You're not facing it by yourself. It's not up to you to figure out how to get through it. The one who is with you, who chose you before the foundation, foundational, placed you within Christ. And that's where you, you, you have settled into. You are hidden with Christ in God. So that whatever, whatever comes, whatever goes, and it, it makes it a little bit easier to face to know that he's facing it with you. And if you will be conscious of that, believe me, it'll, it'll bring some peace. It'll bring some security. It will help you face what you face with a different perspective. John chapter 14 and verse 20, Jesus said, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and that you're in me and that I'm in you. When Jesus prayed the prayer in John chapter 17, and I wanna read it so that I get it just exactly right. When Jesus prayed the prayer in John 17 that he prayed for all of us, he he prayed a couple of really great things in verse 23 and verse 24 Jesus prayed this, this is a prayer for you from Jesus. He said, I pray that they would know that I am in them and that you're in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know, now listen, that the world may know that you have loved them exactly like you have loved me. So not only is he saying his, in his prayer that we would know that we are one in him as the Father is in Jesus and Jesus in the Father and they are in us. But Jesus prayed, he said, I want them to know that you love them with the same love that you love me. That's a, that's a, that's a big love. I don't think any of us doubt how much the Father loved Jesus. But we said, well, that was Jesus. Well, That's why Jesus prayed this, so that you would get the revelation and you, sometimes you gotta ponder these things. You have to think about it until it settles in, until it comes from your heart up to your mind, because your mind's saying, yeah, yeah, but you don't know the things I've done, the thoughts I've had. That, 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 is, that means nothing to the love of the Father. Now, let me read on. He, he also said in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Wherever he is, we are. And wherever we are, he is. Right? We, we, we travel together. That they may behold my glory, which you have given me. You loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, he said two things in those, in those two verses that are extremely important. He said, verse 23, he said, Father, I'm praying. Do you think Jesus ever prayed a prayer that wasn't answered? I don't think so. Jesus prayed, Father, I pray that they would know that the love you have for me is the love you have for them. And then he says in verse 24, Father, I know that you loved me before the foundation of the world. So the love that you are to know that you possess, the love that Jesus has is the love of the Father which was secured before the foundation of the world. I just wanna throw that in there this morning because I think you, you need to understand that whatever you walk through, because he chose you as a son before the foundation of the world, that he has secured your position, he has secured you in Christ, and there's no way that you're coming out of that. And we'll talk more about that in just a couple of moments because he seals it down even tighter later in the chapter. All right, the third thing that we we learned uh, was that he predestined us for sonship. Not only did he choose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, but the Father pre-wired you, he set the plan in motion for you also to be a son. All right? he didn't need your help in doing this, see. He didn't need your prayer to, to extend to you sonship. I mean, the Father has never needed your help, right? He's, he enjoys your relationship. He enjoys the fellowship. But when he created the worlds, he didn't need your help. And he doesn't need your help to complete what he said he's pre-wired. He has predestined you for sonship, verse 5 says. We looked at it last week. He has pre-wired you, predestined you for sonship, and that's a work that is totally his doing. He's not depending on you to to finish it. He's not not depending on him saying to you, okay, I've chosen you to be a son, now you work it out. You be good enough and show yourself worthy to be my son. Your Your place in any of this is just to enter rest and then to respond to what he shows you Respond to what he says, not initiating action. That has brought so much rest to my life. When I know that I don't have to initiate the action, that I'm a responder, not an initiator. So throughout this chapter of Ephesians, Paul is reminding them, he's bringing them truth. He's saying, guys, these are things that the Father has done for you apart from your work, apart from your efforts, apart from your striving, apart from your understanding. He has, he has sovereignly made some decisions to, to bless you with every spiritual blessing. He has made a decision to place you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's made a decision all on his own to, fit, to begin and finish your sonship. And then the fourth thing we, we learned last week is that he has fully redeemed us. What does that mean exactly? It means that he has fully released you from any bonds, any snares, any ties, any debt that you feel that you would have to have to become worthy within his sight. Nothing from yesterday, nothing from today, nothing from tomorrow can incur a greater debt than what the redeemed price he paid will release you from. Now, something really has struck me and I haven't worked this out, so this will probably maybe create more questions than answers. But I've often often asked myself, who did he pay the redemption price to? Did he have to pay the devil off? Did he have to pay himself? Here's the revelation that hit me this week and I haven't developed it, but I'll, I'll come back and develop it someday. I think the price of redemption he paid, he paid it to you. He paid you, To redeem you from a false self. He paid the the debt. He paid the price of whatever it would take. To to move you from who you thought you were. Who you told you were. Who religion poured into you that you were. He he paid you to redeem you from that false self. That the real you now could begin to come forth. I just put it. Maybe some of you will have some, some insight on that. I'd love to hear it. I think that's the price that redemption was paid. Now those are four strong things. Blessed with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Secured us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Pre-wired us for sonship and redeemed us. But like the TV pitch man says, but that's not all. There's still more. I wanna give you three more identifying, building truth, identity building truth in the rest of the chapter. So we're gonna read a few verses. I'm just gonna go kind of a verse at a time to unwind this for you. So I hope hope you listen closely. And you know, there's nothing wrong with going back to listening to these teachings a second or a third time because you're gonna pick up more every time you listen to it. And you know what you're gonna pick up? The more times you listen to it, you'll pick up more than the words that I speak. About the second or third time through, you're gonna, you're gonna pick up on the spirit that I'm conveying. I'm, 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 I'm giving you the Christ that is within me to the Christ that is within you. And then about you know the time or two you listen to it, after that, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, will begin to take you beyond the parameters, outside the borders of what I've been teaching. He will show you more. You, we will never exhaust all of this. I can teach you all I know, but that's not all there is to know. And the spirit of truth, if you look at this again, he'll begin to unwind some things for you that maybe are still a little cloudy or that I didn't make clear. You know, there's a teaching I intend to give. There's actually a teaching you hear. And then there's a teaching that I actually do give. So there's about three things that go on every time the digital cathedral meets. All right, let's let's look at another one, number five. Number five from verse 11. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11, it says this. In him we also have obtained an inheritance. So the fifth thing that he's building into their identity is the fact that they have an inheritance. Let me read the whole verse. In also, him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, here's your, here's, your, here's your inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit for you. Now, you have this inheritance, Paul says, and it's part of your identity. You need to see that in the bank, you've got this inheritance that is inexhaustible. You will never, you'll never be able to spend it all, all right? It's an exhaustible inheritance, and the inheritance that goes beyond your wildest dreams, your wildest ambitions, is his purpose and his will that he has fully deposited into your account let me ask you a question. Is an inheritance drawn on and enjoyed while you live or after you die? If you've ever gotten any kind of inheritance, you know that the inheritor, the one that, the, the, that gave you the inheritance wanted you, he left you or she left you something to enjoy while you live. So this inheritance that has been deposited into our, our account, direct deposited, has been given to us not to enjoy after we die. See, it's not about heaven. It's about the abundant life. It's about kingdom living now. You might be surprised when you find that death is nothing more than an enhanced consciousness of a dimension that you aren't aware of and you might find that you're even able to absorb the inheritance even greater than. It might be, could it possibly be an inheritance that you can enjoy for all eternity, right? And never reach the bottom of. His inheritance to you is the working out of his will in your life. He His will is always better than your will, right? Absolutely. That, that, when you, when you finally surrender your will, you're going to find that his will is so much better than the will that you held on so tight that you wanted so much you thought to come to pass. It, it, it takes time to figure that out. His will is much better than your will, more fulfilling, richer, deeper, more rewarding than your will would ever be. It took Paul time to figure that out. You remember what Paul prayed in in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12? What is it, verses 7, 8, 9, 10? He said, I went to the Lord three times. I had this this thorn in the flesh that was bucking me. I've told you I thought it was the Judaizers. As my I can't prove it, but you can't prove it was his eyesight or any of the other things, theories that are out there. I think it was the Judaizers, and three times he went and he said, Father, I wish you'd get this thing off my back. And you know what? God came back and he says, My grace is sufficient. For you. In other words, Paul, the will that I have for you is better than what you think should be removed that you could enjoy life more fully. Paul got it. He said, Most gladly, therefore, will I will I glory in tribulations, because in my weakness his strength is perfected. So he has a will, and, and that will is his inheritance. The father's inheritance is your the Father's the Father's inheritance is your portion of the will that he has for all that is measured by the same portion of Jesus inheritance I'm not sure I made that real clear father has an inheritance for you the inheritance is of the same proportion of Jesus inheritance You're joint heirs with Jesus everything he had for Jesus every blessing he had for Jesus every revelation and insight he had for Jesus belongs to you We're joint heirs. If you you pass away and you have four children and they are all joint heirs, that means they all get 25% of your your will, right? That's their inheritance, they all share equally. So the father says, I have an inheritance. And he says, you and Jesus are joint heirs. That means we, we share together, we share equally. You were molded from the very beginning to fully reflect and model and walk as the first son. So the father makes sure that you're able to do that by equipping you and giving you everything that the prototype, that the model son has. In Romans chapter eight and verse 29, it says this. It says, every every person that he foreknew, he predestined. So every person that God knew would ever be on the planet, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his first son. Now, every person that is on the planet has the same inheritance, same portion of the will, same portion that Jesus has. I don't have more than you have, you don't have more than I have. We don't need to look at one another as being lesser or greater than, more gifted or less gifted than. We all have a a measure. We have the same measure that's been given to us. Now, some have developed it, some have worked it, some have taken advantage of it. Some have actually begin to spend it and find out that as you spend it, more is replaced. It's like you have a check-in account. Father's giving you a check-in account and he's put put X number of dollars in it. And when you've written enough checks that you've drawn down on it, he says, no problem. He just replenishes the account. That's the portion of your inheritance. So you were pre-designed and engineered after the the model himself, Jesus. Jesus is, is the model. When we look at Jesus, the the, the prototype, the example, the pattern, uh, the first built, we look at his life, we look at his ministry, we look at what he did, it should give us an inclination into how we are to also be. I know that that verse from 1 John 4, 17 that tells us as he is so are we in this world can be kind of a mystery, but let me unfold a mystery for you. Look at the life of Jesus. Whatever you see transpiring in the life of Jesus should be what is transpiring in the life of every son and every daughter, and it will be, it is. It is much more than you realize. You are, you're doing far more than you were last year, two years ago, five years ago in this regard. You're living out more. You've, you've come to understand a whole lot more. So what, what's Paul doing in, in the mind of the Ephesians? Paul is building into the mind of these believers how their life would be lived out in harmony with the Father's plan, the Father's design, the Father's purpose, and the Father's intent, which would be the highest purpose for which they were created. If you wanna know the best use of something that has been produced, you should ask the manufacturer. The car you drive, you want to know the, the highest best use for it, read the owner's manual find out if you drive a Ford, Ford Motor Company will tell you how to get the best use out of that Ford. If you drive a Chevrolet, General Motors will tell you. If you have a uh, if you have a household appliance, if you have a, you know, Maytag washing machine, they'll tell you the best way how to get the best life out of that out of that washing machine. The manufacturer knows the best use. The father built you, listen to me. Look Look me right in the eye here to Digital Cathedral on Sunday morning, April the 12th, 2020. Look me right in the eye. The Father built you for the purpose in Christ that brings to you the most joy and the most happiness. That's the way He designed you. His purpose and plan for you is the thing that makes you the happiest. I heard somebody say the other day that if you really wanna do well in life, find out what you love to do and get really good at it. I wish somebody would've told me that when I was really young. I would've planned a whole lot better than I've planned. See, most of us spend a lot of our life not really understanding that God knows best or that God even knew us before uh, we were born. That, that verse, verse four of that first chapter is such a mind-blowing verse but it's confirmed over in, in Jeremiah. Let, let me read, if I can find it, let me, let me just read you real quick uh, out of the a verse of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter chapter one, this is what God told Jeremiah, and I, wish, I hope that God tells all of this also to us by revelation. In Jeremiah chapter one, verse four, Jeremiah says, in verse four, Behold, the, the word of the Lord came to me and said this, when the word of the lord comes to you and says what i'm about to read says for you your purpose your design god's plan for you it brings a release it brings something that that elevates your consciousness and for me it it triggered uh it trigger it triggered a security that what i was doing was right and that i just needed to get better at it get gooder at it right here's what he says in verse 5 he said behold Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Does that sound vaguely like Ephesians 1.4 to you? Absolutely, does to me. And he said, I I formed you. I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you. That means I separated you off. Does that sound like verse five of Ephesians 1 that he predestined us, pre-wired us to be sons? He said, I sanctified you. I set you aside, gave you this purpose and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Now, you know what brought the most fulfillment to the life of Jeremiah? This stuff excites me. What brought the greatest joy to the life of Jeremiah was to fulfill what the Father designed him to be from the very beginning. That's good stuff right there, right? So whatever whatever you're doing, if you say, well, I, I don't know what he designed me to do. Well, what is it that makes you the happiest? Whatever makes you the happiest, do it. God's not a God's not a father that that really it gets excited when you're doing stuff you hate. That's a drudgery. That's a bore. Uh, what I do at the Digital Cathedral, I'm telling you, I get it. when I when I prepare these teachings ahead of time, I get so excited, I get so cranked up on them. They minister. You know, I, I preach myself happy sometimes. I, I sit here. There's no camera on I'm just preaching to myself. Sometimes it's a little embarrassing because my wife comes in when I'm I'm gesturing and preaching and reading. And you know, she walks in and I'm preaching to myself. I'm I'm getting myself happy by what I do. And I've done this all my adult life. And I I don't think there's any other life I would have really rather lived. If I if I hadn't been called to do this, I probably would have been an, an attorney. I would have loved to been. Uh, a litigating attorney. That would have been, I could have been happy doing something in the financial world. There's a lot of things that interest me, but this is what really fulfills it. This is what cranks my engine. This is what lights my fire. And I want you to find that thing. I don't care how old you are. What if I'm already retired? Look, if you're retired, you've got the time to do what you really enjoy to do. And whatever you enjoy doing, take it and conform it into something that will advance the kingdom. Doesn't matter what it is. Because whatever you do, God's right in the middle of it. Isn't that what we've just been reading? That, you know, he was always with us. He's never left us, never forsaked us. So whatever you whatever you like, he put that in there. He put that thing in there that makes you joyful, that makes you happy. Do it. And do it with perfection, get good at it. You know, if you like, if you wanna jump in a motorhome like my friend Gordon and Maddie, and just travel travel the United States, do it and every place you stop, you just let your light shine. God will open up a lot of doors for you no matter what you enjoy doing. All right, let, let, let's read on here. Let me give you number six. So number five was he's given us an inheritance, inexhaustible, beautiful inheritance. You'll never draw down the account beyond what he has deposited into it. All right, let's, let me give you another. Verse 13, verse 14, chapter one. Verse, thir- verse, verse 13 in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance. All right, we we read that we've got an inheritance. Now he has told us, and here's number six, that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit he has taken that inheritance and he has sealed it into your life let me let me let me read i get so excited I, I should read the whole thing in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed or responded to it that's what believing is it's a responding to this gospel of your salvation your fullness your wholeness when you responded to that he came along and he sealed you with the spirit of promise so that you would never come out of that condition. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. All right. So number five, number six, the blessing number six that Paul's building into their identity. And he's saying, look, I need to put this part on you. You need to understand, he's telling the Ephesian church, and I'm telling you this morning at the Digital Cathedral, you need to understand that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That totally ensures everything that he has done will not evaporate or escape. My grandma, Grandma Sass, used to make strawberry jam. Now you know the difference between jam and jelly, right? J- jelly has no berries in it. Jam is the good stuff. It actually has the berries in it. She used to make strawberry jam and she would make biscuits that were as big as your hand. And I can remember sitting at the table in their kitchen and eating those, those strawberry preserves that she had made on those hot biscuits, butter em, lather them up with that fresh strawberry jam. I mean, there's there's nothing that was any better. But she would take all the jam I didn't eat and she would put it, some of you remember this, put it in ball dome jars. How many of you ever used a ball dome jar? I'm kind of dating myself there, aren't I? She would put the jelly in the ball dome jars and then she would put a wax seal on it, right? When she put the wax seal on that ball dome jar, she would then take them down to the basement. She called it the cellar. It was a farmhouse and it wasn't you know wasn't like basements in houses. Well, we don't have basements in Texas. Up in Michigan, we got nice basements. They build them out there like rec rooms. That wasn't so on the farm, it was a cellar. We just dug down in the ground, had stone walls, But she had shelves down there. My grandpa had built all kinds of shelves, and she would, out of the garden, she would can beans and peas and all kinds of things. Peaches, all kinds of fruit. But she would take this, the strawberry jam after she had sealed it, right, with a wax seal. She put the jar tops out, take them out, put them in the cellar so that she could have fresh strawberry jam whenever she wanted it. Now he has sealed you. And the seal he put on you is the Holy Spirit. And what that does, it preserves you and protects you like it did my grandma's strawberry jam. There was nothing that could get into that strawberry jam once it was sealed with that wax seal. Once he seals you with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that's gonna change you. That makes you complete. The process is fixed. My my grandma never went down one time to get strawberry preserves and brought them up and said, oh my gosh, they've turned into blueberries. Never once. You're not gonna change from being gods sealed by him to one day he looks at you and says, oh my gosh, you've turned into the devils. You've become the devil's property. No, that's why he wanted to build into their identity this idea of being sealed, right? Sealed is very important. It's, it's one of the things that helps us in our identity to know that we are secure and we're sealed. David saw it back in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. He says that the entire world is the Lord's and all those that dwell therein. He sealed all of us. He's never let go of ownership or possession of anything he's ever created. Do you honestly, in the, in the wildest of your imaginations, do you think the father would create anything that would end up being the devil's property? Absolutely not. He sealed it with the Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's an airtight seal and you can't break it. Only he can and he won't break it until he redeems the purchased possession, which you are the purchased possession. Now the seal could also come. I've also seen kings that have rings and you know when they would send a letter, they would take the ring at like a signet and stamp on there with hot wax. It would be the seal of the king. Well, he has taken and he has set a seal on you. He has sealed us with his seal and it shows that we are authentic, that we're genuine, that we truly are his. So that's number six. Now, let me read on. Paul kind of begins to encourage them in verse 15 a little bit. This isn't one of the, the points, but he just encourages them. He said, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, he said, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He said, I'm, I'm thank, I am so thankful for y'all. Paul's encouraging, he says, you know what, guys? He says, you know, your faith and your love for the Lord, it inspires me. And I would, I would say that to you this morning at the Digital Cathedral. Your love and your devotion for the Lord, the journey that you're on, there, there is no group of people, I tell people this all the time, there's no group of people that I would rather make this journey within the people that watch Sunday morning on the Digital Cathedral, the people that are with me on Wednesday night, on Wednesday night live. I, I, I feel such a kinship, such a bond with you, and I do back you with me. I feel like we're, we're interconnected. And sometimes when I go out speaking and ministering at a conference or a church or something, and I get to meet some of you that are part of the Digital Cathedral, I, it's, it's a great joy. And you know what it seems like when I meet you I've known you all my life you're just like I thought you would be I have yet to meet one of you gracers out there that's entirely different than the way you presented yourself I think we're we're at ease being our authentic selves here at the Digital Cathedral I'm very relaxed about that so Paul says I love you guys you're in faith your love to the Lord is an encouragement for me and, and, and I think after all this heavy revelation that Paul's given them, he's kind of taking a deep breath in verse 15. He's, he's not wanting to overwhelm them, he's wanting to give, he's wanting to fill them up as full as he can fill them, but he's not wanting to overwhelm them. So he kind of step, steps back and takes a deep breath so that their head can stop spinning. So in verse 16, he says, I, I, I always make mention of you in my prayers. And he says, this is what I've been praying for you Ephesians. And what he prayed for the Ephesians, I want to be my prayer personally, from me to you this morning. Can I just pray this for you? In verse 16, he prayed, and this is what I pray for you, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not just just revelation. I pray God would give you the wisdom, the know-how, how to put it to work, how to put it to use, how to make it effective in your life. Then he prays in verse 18, he said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you'd know the depth of this inheritance that you have in Christ. He prays in verse 19. So I pray that too, verse 18, verse 19, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. And the things that I'm sharing with you this morning, they would go beyond the words that I'm speaking. you feel the spirit that comes out. You would see the Christ in me and embrace the Christ that is within you. Then he says, this inheritance that you have in verse 20. He said, I'm praying that you would see that it's the same power, this inheritance. It's, it's dunamis, it's power, it's explosiveness. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he said, I pray that you'd see your position in Christ that is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, that you're sealed in Christ at that place. Then in verse 22, verse 23, he begins to unwind all of it. And he gives us number seven. I love number seven. Look at verse 22 with me. He says that he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus is the head over all things that have been placed under the feet of Jesus. Let me read verse 22 and 23 together so you get the context. And the Father has put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Which is his body. All things are under the feet of Jesus. Question. Are the feet in the head or the body? Feet are in the body. Guess guess what all things are coming under the feet of, the church. He says the church is his body. Now watch this. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he tells us, verse 22, verse 23, number seven, seventh thing he's building into their identity. He's tying the the, the Ephesian church, and I'm tying you this morning, into union to Christ who has together we make one body. He's the head and we're all these functioning parts of the body. And he says, I've put everything under the feet, under the body. I've made him to be the head. And he says, here's here's what the church actually is. The church is the body. The body is the fullness of him. Again, we come back to that thing that you and I are the fullness of Christ. See, we are Christ. Don't turn me off, don't don't flip your video off. Jesus was the human man, Christ was the eternal spirit. Don is the flesh man. Christ is the eternal spirit that resides within me. You could call me Don Christ. I could call you Billy Christ, Susie Christ, whatever your first name is, because you are the fullness of him, and he emphasizes it, who fills all and is In all so I think Paul laid a strong word out here in this very first chapter the spirit of truth today is unpacking revelation like I've never seen it I I'd never heard teaching like I'm teaching you except from myself there's a few others Uh, I highly recommend well, I'm not going to get into names because I'll forget some. But there are a few around that are really unpacking truth. And you know why? It's because the spirit of revelation is active not only in those that are teaching, but those that are listening. If you don't have ears to hear and eyes to see, it doesn't matter what depth I teach from, you're not going to get it. There's, the spirit of revelation is, is, is flowing. It's working in all of us. And I will, I will guarantee you that what I have spoken this morning, the spirit of truth, has triggered other things in your understanding. It has brought revelation to you in things I haven't even mentioned. I've talked ABC, Holy Spirit has shown you HIJ. Totally unrelated. That's what's going on today. The, 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 the more we disconnect, here, here's my promise to you. The more we disconnect from the world's pull, from the ties, the cords, the bonds, all the junk that the world tries to get our attention with, all the uh, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, even local news. Only thing we have on local news now is about the the coronavirus. All of that distracts us. You can watch 20 minutes of that a day and get caught up. You don't need to have that told you time after time after time, it'll, it'll dull your spirit sensitivity, believe me. So in this very first chapter of Ephesians, Paul lays out what the battle really is, and I just kind of let you know what the battle really is. It's, it's not people. The battle is the supremacy of the identity that he has revealed to us. It's the supremacy of what God speaks to us and shows us who we authentically have always been. Everything re- Paul revealed to be fully embraced has to come through a renewed mind a thinker that has changed, that has repented, gone completely the other direction most of the time. So the things that we're talking about, and this is why God's renewing your mind, that's why he's pulling stuff away from you, why he's disconnecting you maybe from some relationships because he's transforming your mind, he's getting you away from connections. All right, it's about a renewed mind, it's not about your flesh. Flesh gets a lot of attention, flesh gets a lot of publicity, flesh has no power. There's only one power. It's the Father. Flesh does whatever it's directed to do from the soul of the Spirit. And once you tap into one power, that is from Spirit, your flesh will obey Spirit. So Paul's moving the Ephesians toward a spirit man that is power, absolutely power-packed. And that's my that's my call on the digital cathedral. I want to be the guy that is power-packed, that can that can convey and empower impart to you the the, the same power that we have together that raised Jesus from the dead. And he he leads you into all of that through the prayer that he made at the end of the chapter. Okay, that takes care of chapter one. Let Let me just give you a heads up. Next week we start chapter two, and he's gonna build on chapter one, and he's going to bring Christ right into the center of everything that we do. Christocentric is going to become an extremely big word in your vocabulary. Christocentric, Christ-centered. Christ is the center of it all. And Paul's gonna do some good teaching on that. All right, question of the week is this, that we'll take on Wednesday night. Question of the week. Can you live more than what Revelation has revealed to you? Can you live more than what revelation has revealed. I want you just to answer that because in answering it, you're going to see the importance of revelation. Hey, thank you for being with me. This has been an awesome time. I don't care if it's been sheltering in place or not. Honestly, I like doing this at home better, frankly. If my wife is right and the ambiance doesn't affect you, I may do this at home forever. I don't know. I, I really do it. I feel a freedom here. I love ministering to you guys. I love teaching. I I love to have people around me that have ears and eyes and want to hear more. So thank you for being with me. Thank you for the support. I especially thank those of you that have uh, contributed on a monthly basis, whatever the amount. It just lets you know that, hey, I'm with you. Keep spreading, keep traveling, keep writing, which we've got some books coming out very, very soon. First book is gonna be on Hell's Illusion. Got some books coming out very soon. It just encourages me to keep going. It helps me to pay for some of the stuff I have to do, publishing and editing and the things that go on. So thank you, and God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night in the question of the week. Can you live more than the revelation you receive? See you Wednesday and back next Sunday morning on the Digital Cathedral. Thank you for being a faithful member.